Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, the Renault Dealer of the Year and most Google-reviewed dealership in Ireland. For award-winning customer service you can trust, visit us today. Blackstone Motors, drive with peace of mind. 041-983-1100. You're very welcome to Wednesday afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Straight to the job today. I interviewed my first guest this afternoon in the summer of 2013 when she told me about her two boys, Harry and Gavin, who were both born with autism and ADHD. Little did I or anyone else know then that Trish Flood was carrying a long-held secret of abuse at the hands of a close family relative. She's with me on late lunch today to tell her story and I'm very grateful that she's joining me again. Trish, you're very welcome to the show. Thanks, Jerry. Thank you very much for joining me. Can I just context you and who you are? You were born in London, yes? Yes, I was born in London and my family moved back to Ireland in 1977. I would have been in about five or six. Um, so they had worked in London since the 50s, like a lot of Irish people. And then they came back to make a, make a home back home. Um, so I spent my formative years, if you like, in Navan. Um, until we left when I was 14 because of the last recession. <laughs> oh, not another one. And there have been several, even in my lifetime. Yeah. But that was the time your dad, there was no work here. Yeah. So London beckoned again and there was a familiarisation from the family point of view there. You had a, no issues in childhood here growing up in Navin. You loved it? Yeah, I loved it. I was a very happy kid. Um, you know, we had a lot of freedom that time, a lot more than a child would have now going off on your bike or whatever. So... Yeah, I loved it. And I loved primary school. I had, you know, I was very happy here. Mm. So off you go to London. Was that a, a shock to the system? You were quite young when you came here at five. Ten years spent here. You had all your friends and network here. Was it tough going there and re again to a big city? It was, but I was excited about it because obviously Navin was quite small then mm. um, in comparison to now. And, you know, everyone thought of London as this big fancy sparkling place where so much was going on so I was um, I was excited to go somewhere new and my brothers already had moved over there and we had quite a bit of family over there as well so Mm. yeah I you know I was happy enough going Yes going over and you got back into school and started to establish friendships over there as well. How many are in your family? How many brothers sisters? I have two brothers Okay and yourself? And myself Jim and John they're eight years older than me they're twins Okay, and uh, so they were there and then there's yourself. <laughs> yeah. So over you go and you're getting back into the run of things in, in the UK. Um, this man, 
this, if I can call him a man that was a family relative of, of yours, Frank Forte. Yeah. Um, did you know him before you moved to London? No, I didn't. He he had been apparently in our house in Navan when I was very young, um, but I didn't remember him, to be honest. OK. And did he just arrive one day to the house to say hello? How did he re-establish contact with your family? Well, where we lived, um, he lived very close by. He was literally five minute walk away. So uh, he would have been my dad's sister's son. And he, uh, yeah, he just started coming around, inviting us around, stuff like that. Mm. Um, so, you know, I was, I didn't know anyone. I obviously just landed, didn't know a single person. Um, I wasn't in school yet until the September because we moved in July. Um, so he kind of very quickly, as you uh, you know, made it, made out that he was kind of taking me under his wing type of thing. Okay, from the start over there. Yeah. So what did he do? Did he take you out? Did he bring you gifts? What did he do? He um, he would take me out, take me over to his house. Um, now, in this, this at the start, it was all fine. You know, he would he would take me to places, um, you know, local nature spots, stuff like that, and just talk to me. He talked to me like I was an adult. So. You know, when you're 15 and someone treats you like an adult, you're automatically going to think, oh, this is great. Like, mm. um, So it started off with him just, you know, getting me to trust him. And then it started with the comments about my weight at the time. Um, so he would use that as a way to try and undermine me and make me feel bad about myself, which worked. Um, so he started to take me to the gym. We took me to the gym a few times. Um which, you know, I really didn't want to go and it wasn't my thing at all. But he used that, um, my supposed weight at that time to, um, you know, to make me, f- to get gain control of me, mm. basically. I see your picture from back yeah, then. <laughs> you had no weight. I know. I tell you, I found that picture. It was actually probably around the time I was looking for stuff that would be used in court. And I just looked at it and I said, people... Were queuing up to tell me how fat I was, and I wasn't fat at all when I like I am now. But when I looked at them, I, I was like, "This is ridiculous!" Like, mm. it was totally unfounded. There was nothing wrong with me, but yet he he really played on that. And you know, the psychological, you're not good enough, but but you know, I'll spend time with you anyway, and you should count yourself lucky, type mm. of thing. When did the abuse start? Um, it started just after my fifteenth birthday. So I had that was in August, the end of August um, and then I started school in September into the new school. So very quickly after that, it started. OK. Mm-hmm. And what did he do to you? Um, he did uh, just about everything, to be honest with you. Um, he what we went to court with. The problem was, you see, because it was 1986, he had to be tried under the law in 1986. Um, And the law surrounding, um, you know, sleeping with an underage person went back to the 1950s. So it wasn't a very good law. So um, there were four counts of what I would say were very serious offences and they couldn't be taken forward because of this law thing. It wasn't covered off in that law? No, it wasn't because it was such an old law. Mm. And then um, the other four would come under um, indecent assault. So touching, 
you know, that sort of stuff. Yes. Um, inappropriate. All type, that type of all stuff. All that type of stuff. Did yeah. he have full sex with you? Yes, he did. But he was never tried for that. Although the jury were told. Mm. They were told about all, everything that went on and then they were told, well, you can't actually bring these four forward. You can only bring the, 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 the other four. When this happens, you know, for somebody that has not an understanding of this and I put my hands up, I, I haven't. Do you not go to your parents or go to somebody straight away and tell them? Probably some people would. Um, but I knew if I went to my parents, they would be devastated. It would have broken them completely. And I don't think I would have been believed by, you know, the, the law at the time. It was very different in the 1980s. A lot of things were considered acceptable that wouldn't be acceptable now and never should have been. Um, I wouldn't have had the confidence I wouldn't. I was emotionally destroyed. Um, I don't think I could have got through it if I had have told then. So I just had to internalise it and hang on to it. How long did it go on for? It went on. Um, we said at court because we do, obviously you don't have exact dates and times. So we said between September nineteen eighty six and January nineteen eighty seven. Um, so those. You know, that was the time period mm. we agreed on because you don't have to have exact. Yes, but it did like. stop. It did stop, yes. Why did it stop? Um, he was afraid of getting caught. Um, you know, the area that he lived in, he would have been well known. And he was, you know, he didn't try hugely to cover up what was going on. And I think he just um, felt right. If I don't do I'm going to get caught, basically. Mm. And also, obviously, I I felt at the time that I loved him because I was 15. I didn't know any better. And, you know, I was, want, you know, wanting to be more of a, I don't know, a relationship, you could say. Um, and I think he was trying to pull back from that as well because he knew it would end with him not doing well out of it. Yeah, because you were a minor at that stage. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was 15. So that's what you believe, that he was... Someone that could possibly be a future here for you. And naively, you believe that. Yeah. When it stopped, how did you feel? I was devastated. I was absolutely, I can't even describe how I felt. I felt like I had no one, I had no one I could tell. I was literally a basket case. I don't know how I lived through it. When I did counselling, the counsellor said, you you know, you lived through that and you survived it. Did you tell the counsellor? I told the counsellor everything, yeah. I went to Rian in Navan. So this was years, years later? Yeah, years later. You, you didn't recently. do anything because I know you lived in the UK up till you were about 30 years of age. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you didn't do all those years nothing? No. Did you tell anybody? I told one of my brothers, but I made him swear not to tell. And he didn't tell. because, And I, I'm glad he didn't because I wouldn't have been able to cope with it at, until I came to a point where I was able to do it. To say this yourself yeah. and pinpoint this awful, awful person. Yeah. Um. So you held it with you all these years. Did you ever come... I, I, I take it he drifted away when, when this ended yeah. uh, with, with you yeah. and you didn't see much of him again. Did you ever see anything of him before you came back to Ireland when you were 30 years of age? Um, before I came back to Ireland, I saw him, you know, I'd see him once or twice in the street, but I'd just try and, you know, I just... I feel so ashamed and horrible um, that I, I couldn't cope with it. But I did see him when I moved back to Ireland, when I first met my now husband we were watching tv and there was this prison thing called bad girls 
And ironically, he was um, doing a bit part of a prison officer. And we were watching it and I burst into tears. And Don said, what's what's wrong? What's going on? Um, so I told him. At uh, that point? Yeah. Watching point. a TV programme yeah. here, you told yeah, it, your husband. It just triggered me seeing his face like that. I just, you know, I was so upset. And he was like, what's wrong? I, he didn't know what to do. So I told him. And he's always been very supportive of me. I'm very lucky. You know, he says you do what you whatever you need to do, you do it. Trish, you're watching Bad Girls with your husband and there he is and it all flows out. Now, that's a few years ago. Yeah. A couple of years ago, because this case against this man, uh, you eventually broke your silence. You decided to come out and tell the world what he'd done to you. Why did you do it a couple of years ago? Um, I had been in counselling for about seven years. Um, Originally, I was referred just for, you know, general counselling. And then when this when I told the counsellor, I was referred to Rian and Navin and they are fantastic. Um, We spent, I'd say, a few years going through all of this, sorting everything out in your head. And it came to a point where it's either right, I'm going to do something or I'm going to have to put it behind me. And I couldn't put it behind me. So I had to do something. You decided to go public and that's a big, big decision to make because, you know, you're probably thinking about the way people look at you. Then, you know, because you've reported this and it goes to the Metropolitan Police in England, they take up the case and, you know, you're going to have to give evidence in court. Yeah, Um, it's very scary. Um, I have to say they tried their best to prepare me and the police in the UK they arranged for me to visit the Central Criminal Court here to look at a court because I'd never been in one in my life. Um, I wasn't really prepared for what was going to be said in court and the humiliation of it and the viciousness of it. Um, it was It's awful. You know, they no holds barred. Um, tried to paint you out to be a liar, a fantasist. Uh, my whole family was dragged into it. My brothers, my parents, who are both dead, um, were brought up in court. Um, it was horrible. The first trial was absolutely horrible. But I got through it because of my my family gave me a lot of support and my husband, obviously, and my autism mammy friends yes. were there as ever. And you mentioned, you see, one trial because at the first trial he was convicted on one count. Yes. But they weren't happy with that, uh, the, the authorities in in the UK. They wanted you to go again. You had to go into court and you agreed to a second time. Yeah, I was given the choice because it was a hung jury. Um, I The choice was mine to go back or not. So I said, yeah, uh, the police officer said most people give up at this point, but I don't think you will. I said, no, I won't. So when you <laughs> went for a second time, yeah, second time round, there was no doubt. They uh, reached a conclusion in a matter of hours yeah. after the, the case finished and he was convicted on all counts. On all four counts then, yeah. So he had what age is he now? 66. How many years did he get? He got six years, but he has to do four at least. And he'd be released then, I presume, with one of these tags on him, yes? Yeah, he was actually on a tag in between the two courts because he'd obviously been a convicted sex offender. So he had to wear a tag and he wasn't allowed to be around children on his own and all those conditions. Um, so he will, if if he behaves himself in prison... He will be allowed to do the last two years on licence. But that's a big if. Mm. How did you feel when the verdict was announced at that second trial? 
uh, I can't. My legs, my whole body went to jelly, to be honest with you. I was on the phone because obviously I just went in, did my bit because I was behind the screen and then I had to leave because you can't go behind the screen and then sit in an open court. So I answered the phone and Lauren said he's been unanimously found guilty on all three plus the other one. So that's four. And I said, oh, I just said, oh, Lauren, I didn't know what to say. I was so relieved. I can't explain it was just unbelievable. It was massively powerful feeling. Um, and then I was ringing everyone and it was just unreal. It was such a happy time. How do you feel about this man? Do you hate him? I do. I might as well be honest. Yes, yes I do hate him. I, I hate him and I hate anybody like him that would do that to somebody. That leads me to another point. Do I take it that this is the reason why you did all this? You did it for yourself, of course, yeah. because you couldn't carry this any longer. Yeah. And you have a freedom now, yeah. may I say, because of what you've done. Yeah. And I have such admiration for you. And I'm oh, sure so many people have. Yeah. But I've... you want to talk about this because you want to bring this into the public domain. Because when you look at the, the stats, very few people do what you do. Yeah, very few. I looked on, on uh, One in Four's website. Um, less than 15% of people who are abused come forward. Of those, a small number get to court and of those in an even smaller number get sentenced or found guilty. And I think that's just, it's disgraceful, you know. There's such a taboo still in this country about sexual abuse and we need to have conversation about how we're going to make this easier for people. It's never going to be easy. It's a nightmare going into court, I might as well tell you. You know, you're going to be torn to shreds, but you have to stay strong don't let them beat you and keep going. Like I had the second trial, I would have gone to 10 trials because once I decided I was doing it, I was doing it. And I had my best friend, Carol Lennon, with me, who's fantastic support. So you need to, you need your supports, your family and friends on board. You need to, you know, the local Garda station. I went to Navin to report mine because um, they sent it through Interpol. They were brilliant. Mm. They couldn't have been nicer and more helpful. Um, so it is, it's human, it's horrible. It's just, you know, they do, they, they, the whole thing is designed to make you feel like you're telling lies and that you're, you can't be trusted. So you have to almost detach yourself from it. Mm. Um, but it's worth it. In the end. The yeah. other thing is, I, I, I asked you back a few moments ago who you told. Yeah. Right, and you mentioned you had counselling. You mentioned your brother as well. And a big, a deep effect I know on your brother. He felt yeah. shock and guilt, didn't he, that he'd held it for all these years as well. He did. I had to have a conversation with him, myself and Carol. He was very upset that he didn't do anything. And I said, I told you, I didn't want you to do anything. And the only person who's guilty of anything is Frank Forte. You hold absolutely no guilt on this and you could just see him kind of relaxing. Yes, he was so relieved to hear those words. The other thing is, ironically, by telling him and telling the counsellor there was a timeline there that was a significant factor in the case. Yeah, absolutely. Anybody that you ever spoke to about it who is willing to come forward um, it will be a real help. It doesn't matter how long ago um, they, my brother was asked what I said to him mm. and they had to be very careful around not putting words into people's mouths. Um, but the whole timeline thing is very important. Um, and also little details 
what was the room, what was the colour of the room, where were you, was it day, was it night? So it's just adding up all these little facts and taking them to him and seeing what he says. And uh, yes, that's it, basically. That's it. Lovely message. The message is coming in for you. I'll just read this one here. I'll pick it out. Hello, Jerry. I was with Trish in counselling when she decided to go ahead with this. She's a powerhouse of a woman, an amazing lady. That's love from M this afternoon coming in to you. And we're oh, getting lovely. other messages as well. If you'd care to comment, 086-1800-658 by text or WhatsApp, or you can call in on 1850-715-958. We can't underestimate this. You have a freedom now. You're relieved. This heavy weight is lifted. But it has, it has had an enormous fe- effect on your life. It has. It was very difficult. There were times when I wanted to give up. And, you know, I obviously the people around me said, no, you know, we'll look after you for the, you know, be upset and then come back the next day and fight again. Um, so it wasn't easy. It isn't easy. It's It's horrible. But it's, it has to be done to get where you want to mm. go with it. Those dark days are behind you now. And yeah. you had dark days. You oh, yeah. you questioned yourself, didn't you? You questioned your being. Yeah, I did. Like, he was vehemently denying everything from day one. He said that I was a fantasist, that I wanted to be with him. All this absolute rubbish. And you, you think, God, you know, he was this... He had a a phone in his car in 1986, which will show you the type of person he was Mm. when there were no phones in cars. And it was made out that I wanted money from him in some way at 15. Like, what was I going to do with it? Absolute nonsense. And part of the barrage you've told us already about, you had to face. You're some woman for one woman, let me say. (laughs) You really are. And it's not easy, I know, to do what you did, but you have. And if you want to read about Trish, uh, she's front page in the Mead Chronicle as well this week, her story in detail, and in the National Press, of course, as well. I thank you very much for coming in to us on Late Lunch today to talk about this. Thanks, Trish Flood, Jerry. thanks a million. Thank you. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, your local Renault selection dealer. With over 250 quality used cars in stock, there's always something for everyone at Blackstone Motors. Check out our used stock online at blackstonemotors.ie. In the digital age, we don't print photographs really anymore. It's a fact. I see it in my own family. My wife said to me a few years ago, we have pictures up to a point and then we have nothing. So when these smart things come in, we just take them and do nothing with them. Can I tell you something? It's a mistake. And it's borne home by a book I have in my hands here. It's called Mead Life Through the Lens. It's produced by the Mead Chronicle. And the man, the driving force behind it, he is just fantastic. And I want to congratulate him. He's with me today. John Donoghue, news editor with the Chronicle, is in studio. John, congratulations. Thank you very much, Jerry. I have to say, you know yourself, you've heard this before, John, but it is a fact. We love books with pictures in them because... They bring us back, don't they? And this does. Nostalgia. Nostalgia, John. Yeah, it's all about nostalgia. And we want to tell them as well, John, there's not a colour picture inside here. Not a one. Not, not a one. We, one. Went, we went for the classic black oh, and white. Oh, listen, you did the right thing, John. Absolutely the right thing. Anyway, let's talk about photography in general at the beginning. Nowadays, as I said there, John, we all have these smart devices and we can shoot a picture here, there and everywhere. It wasn't always like that with this stuff, was it? Well, it wasn't, and um, there was a whole process that had to be gone through, and I even remember doing it myself in college, even though I, I didn't pursue the, the photography end of it, where you had to go into your dark room and mix your chemicals and make sure you had your photographic paper and make sure that nobody was going to come in and let light into the room or everything would be destroyed, even to 
putting the film into the camera. You had to make sure you had enough film to cover whatever you were going to do and and um, then make sure that, that if your film wasn't entirely used up that you had enough for more photographs yes. at the end of it. It wasn't straightforward at all. And then to, to, from there to take it, to put it on the pages of a newspaper was another task in its own right, wasn't it? It was. Um, you could, depending on what the newspaper deadline was, you could you could stick it in the post, in the old traditional snail mail. <laughs> um, you could have it delivered by courier. You might have had to go down to the local bus and, and have it sent over to the next town by bus. Um, it, and you might have just had to get in and drive over it yourself yes. if you weren't working in the office. Mm. And then onto the metal plates and all that is involved with that before she rolled and onto the paper itself. Of course, that's all been replaced oh, now. Oh, John, come off. Click and paste. Click. <laughs> email. Everything's email now. <laughs> Will you stop the lights? Oh, my God. I am, I'm proud to say I'm from another era myself as well. I can see both sides. I just want to mention before we talk about some of the brilliant uh, pictures that you've selected for this book, uh, you've included uh, photographs from James Clark, Anne Crinion, Anne McGee, Brendan Flynn, Jerry Delaney, John McKenna, John Cockle, James Carney, Peter Gallagher, Sean Dempsey, John Quirk, Seamus Smith, Jerry Shanahan, David Mullen, Terry Collins, Andy Spearman, Carol Lee, Joe Fanning and the man himself, Seamus Farley. Farley. They're all there and you acknowledge them all. All these people have contributed to this book. Well, they've all contributed to the Chronicle over the years uh, that we're looking at. we we chose the 1970s to the 1990s because that was the era that we easiest um, within our own archive mm. to identify the photographs, identify people within the photographs. Um, and those are the photographers that would have been contributing at various stages yes. over those 20 years mm. uh, to the to the newspaper. Now, you showed me something there on the way in, and I want to start with page 123. You said, Jerry, have a look at page 123. It's something of interest. When we get to it there, and I'll open it up, because there is a man on that page that has a link with LMFM Radio, and it's a picture of Judge Frank Rowe, a well-known man, John, yes, mm-hmm. for years in the courts. Jacqueline O'Brien, that's the wife of the late Vincent O'Brien, isn't it? Yes, and a train. photographer herself. Is she? She was a very well-known oh, right. uh, area. Oh, I see, I see, yeah, I see, I see the, the camera, camera around, around her, neck. her neck there as she well. She did a lot of work on books, said the Great Houses of Ireland, she, and a lot of aerial photography, yes. that type of thing. Yes, she's in the middle. And on flanked on her other side is a man called Sean Farley. That is Seamus's dad, yes. And I didn't realise it was Seamus's father because I wouldn't have known the man. Yes. He's, he's apparently passed away in 1996. It's a lovely and picture of him, our, isn't it? Our photographer's father, and it's a lovely picture. Ah. I just, I, it was the photograph I was looking at as a nice photograph. Yes. Not realising it until Seamus looked at it and he says, that's my father. Oh, my God, isn't it? It's a tremendous photograph, mm. so it is. It really is. And it's embedded over the two pages here. There's an awful lot of uh, sport in this as well, naturally, and it's a big part of life in every county, and especially in Mead. The horse racing fraternity, John. Look at them. They're here in their numbers, aren't they? Yeah, there's yeah. A, there's a, there's plenty of jockeys and horses yes. and uh, trainers around me. Yeah, the Strand races at Laytown. We've been talking about them lately. They've been celebrating a very special anniversary there. Now, there's one I wanted to ask you about because it's a job I've never heard about before. Um, what what is it? An apple technician? Is that what it's called? <laughs> well. That that's in um, that's in Warrenstown College. In Warrenstown, yes. yes. 
I never heard of that. It's Dennis Martha, an Apple technician. John, what are we on but about Dennis there? Dennis is still going strong. And is I'd he? have to ask him what he, exactly his, his job as Apple technician <laughs> involved. Maybe he was making cider. <laughs> <laughs> That'd sound about right to me, John. But did he pick them? Did he eat them? Did he, as John says, turn them into something else? But uh, we say hello to Dennis this afternoon. I just, it just jumped out at me as, as one of the titles in it. Now, at the very beginning of the book, here is a picture of John Bruton, former Taoiseach, 1992. And it's in black and white. And you can't see his face, John. He's looking down mm. a road. Mm. It speaks a thousand words, doesn't it? It's, it's a brilliant picture. Carol Lee took it in the 1992 election campaign. And John Bruton was the Mead TD at the time. But he'd only just taken over as party leader. It was his first general election. He had taken over from, from Alan Jukes, who had lost his... Um, uh, leadership after the Mary Robinson election uh, as president when Fine Gael didn't do terribly well in that and Jukes got the blame um, and Bruton is just standing there looking down into the dip uh, at Oberstown at uh, outside Screen Church and a long, there's a long road in front of him. And uh, he's standing there wondering what, what, what road is in front of him. Yes, and, and that's what I mean, John, about it, it nearly summed up what was coming, you know, mm. for him in his political life and his career as well. It's absolutely brilliant. Now, there's another one there that I picked going through it. Nurse Brona Lynch from Newtown in Trim. And she was caught up in the, Gul- the Gulf War in 1990. She was, yeah. And that's a, that's a happy picture of her coming home. Uh, sadly, she was to lose her life in a car accident when she went back out to work in uh, the Middle East again. Oh, my God. And so that's a nice photograph of her. Oh, beautiful um, picture, John. Yeah, and she, sadly... And like that, the book is, is a nice way to remember people. There's, there's some people who've passed on and it's, it's they're, they're nicely yes. pictured there and... As I was saying, Father Andy Farrell, who's died this week, is, yes. is pictured in it. He's in the book as well. Yeah, Just yeah. so so timely. Uh, now, look at that. Look at Johnny Logan and, and Shay Healy on oh, the name of God. They're like whippersnappers in that one there, aren't they, John? They are. The pair are. of them. Of course, Johnny with the links to County Mead, living Ashburn. in the county there as well. Uh, and that was back in the days when they were writing Eurovision winners and on top of the world as well. And poor Shay, he's... He's battling hard at the minute with his health, you know. He is. He really yeah. is, you know. But he looks looks a million dollars in that one. Now, Spicers. What about Spicers and County Mead as well? I saw a picture there from Spicers. Two boys, I think, that worked in the place. Uh, Patrick Plunkett and Tony Weldon. That's right. Well, of course, Spicers were the tradition yeah. for over 100 years in Mead. And there was, I'd say there wasn't a house or a shop in, in Mead that they didn't deliver to in terms of between bread and the mill where there was uh, the, the, down at Blackwater where they would have ground corn and everything. Yes. I love their toast roll, John. The toast roll. I can still see it in the orange and yellow wrapper. This was one of my favourites. And I was shocked and sad when Spicers yeah. didn't uh, operate anymore and they actually went out of business. But memories, memories there for people. And many people worked in Spicers. Now, we're coming to Halloween shortly, uh, John. And I see a beautiful picture of the Farrars here. Uh, that is Stuart and Janet Farrar. They're white witches, I think. Or, or, you know, they are witches. Uh, and they live outside the Kells. It's a beautiful... Look at the look at the uh, the light in that picture, it's a, John. It's a great picture. I, I think Stuart has passed away since as yeah. well. 
Uh, but it's it's a it's a great picture. Oh, it's a lovely. It's uh, the lights if I can describe for listeners coming in a window and Stuart is there and she's standing beside him. I think it's a yeah. a beautiful beautiful shot as well. There's another adopted farmer you have in Mead. Uh, yeah, brush shields. Brush. The brush is there feeding feeding cows. I think I saw him there. He's feeding away as well. Lovely shot of the brush and adopted Mead man. And look at this fella. You mentioned a priest a minute ago. Ah yes, Ray Kelly. That was earlier on yeah. in, in, in the St Mary's yeah. Musical Society. He obviously always had the singing talent. He had. And this is the man, of course, that has hit the headlines with Britain's Got Talent and got through to the final and everything as well. Ray is in it, looking young and sprightly there. Um, What else did I pick from it as well? Oh, listen, John, I have to mention this. The Reardons. Tom... Hickey, a.k.a. Benji Reardon, looking so well in it as well. Yeah, that was in, a, I think he did a charity walk in Kilmesson. Yeah. Um, and and uh, the, the 70s style is there with the the shades and the hairstyles. <laughs> it and is, it is. It's a great picture. And we have to mention this, the bell John Grant. John Grant, yes. Kel Silverband, he's hooting and tooting there in a trumpet. That's a young John. A young John is right, and he's still involved today in music and pantomimes and everything. He's in it all. So I'm just thinking about all these people in, in their different guises and many years ago. Not alone the people themselves, and there are a lot that have passed on, but their families, John. This would be a lovely memento to have, wouldn't it, to someone in your family? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Absolutely beautiful it is. Anyway, we're going to talk more. Take a short break and late lunch. Mead Life Through the Lens. The Mead Chronicle has produced these beautiful black and white photographs of yesteryear and we're going to talk about it and more of them after the break. Pictures from yesteryear, black and white, of lots and lots of people, a spectrum of life in County Mead. It's called Mead Life Through the Lens. Uh, the Mead Chronicle producing it and John Donoghue bringing it together. Would you like a copy of the book? I have a copy to give away. Somebody out there might like it. I'm only joking. I know there's a lot of people out there would love it. Here's the question if you want a copy of the book. On what square in Navin are the offices of the Mead Chronicle? The name of the square in Navin where the Mead Chronicle offices are. What's the name, please? 086 658 by text or WhatsApp. Get going now and we'll pick somebody before the end of the show. John, just thinking about this book when you're bringing it together. There has to be a side of work to go through. I'm sure you could produce a few more volumes of this. How do you pick the ones you want to put in? It's difficult. Uh, there's a there's there's enough in in our office. I'd say for another two or three books. Mm-hmm. Um, for this one, I suppose because it's our first one, we're just trying to identify, make sure that we knew had who was in the photographs and that type of, and indeed I have to apologise in advance I think there's one or two names that we might have wrong in it but um, we're looking at photographs from the 70s to the 90s um, mm. that that was bound to happen um, Were the captions a challenge to, to, to context them caption them right? Yeah, that was. If there was wasn't a caption on the photograph you had to go back and try and find where the photograph was originally yes. printed and and find the names of it Mm. For yourself, go on, pick a couple to shoot at me here that you personally love after going through this labour of love yourself. Well, there's a great one there I, I love of uh, four lads standing over, under the old... What page, John, are we talking page, about? Page 10. OK, early on in the book there. Let me open that and have a quick gawk at it here and see what it says. There I am on 10. Oh, the boy, the bio's under the sign for at boy, for is at it? boy, yeah. That's, I love that one. And just their... I don't know where the photographer caught them on a on a 
wander home from school yeah. or they r- looked cool Moore John might have been out on his rural ramble but yes. they were early 1980s they looked very cool around that boy didn't they didn't they, they? I have <laughs> to say they could fit in any city photograph Martin Byrne from Beliver James Gilson in that boy Shane Kelly Kildalki and Brendan Smith from Rathmore you're looking swell lads what else John for you I think and many people might recall the nun run in Trim right in the late 1980s, into around 1987, 88, okay, and into into the early 90s, um, it was a fundraiser of trim pony races for St Michael's Boys Primary School. And what page are you on there? I'm on page I see 18. Okay, right. And let's see that. Uh, Mickey Reagan, the trim solicitor, described it as the most glorious piece of nonsense he was ever involved in. <laughs> <laughs> it, where he got a a a race a race specifically for nuns <laughs> to ride on, so it got international attention at the time. And did they did they get enough jockeys? Well, they did, and they had a couple of years races in it. Yes, yeah, they got international media attention to China and everywhere. <laughs> oh, brilliant! What a story! Memories, memories. Can I mention somebody here that I soldiered with for a while? Jerry Mary, Jerry Mary, the legendary auctioneer and politician from Dalekin County. Made great picture of him, John. He's looking at his real self. There did a bit of fishing and involved with the fishing club with Jerry as well. He was some character. He was great, Mary. He really was. Joe Riley, who left us recently as well, a very youthful Joe Riley in this book. He really is a, a young-looking man. There, Martin McGuinness has passed on as well on the platform with him there locally in Mead at one stage and on the other side that's the greening what about on the other side Prince Charles at Newgrange in 1995 that's right and he did trim and went around the, he did Butterstream Gardens in trim that time as well it was mm. it was um, his first visit to era I think he called yes and, and, and at a time John when it was not the done thing no. to have a royal visiting this country no, there was huge attention on, on, yeah. on that uh, visit at the time. Mm, and how it has eased and changed uh, since. Paddy Dowd's making a lovely cock of hay there. But You've a lot of... It's great agricultural pictures in Paddy it, aren't there? Chocolate, yes. Yeah, and him standing at the cock of hay and his boys there milking cows and saving the crops and everything as well. I have to say hello today. She's a legend. Teresa Allen in the Headford Arms. Teresa oh, Teresa... You're looking swell in this one. Jeez, he's looking lovely in it. Honestly, our Teresa, she looks absolutely beautiful in it. And there's another national figure I wanted to talk about in the book, John. Frank Hall from Hall's Pictorial Weekly. I'm sure some people will remember that. Yes, and Frank made Hall's Pictorial Weekly down in the Scott Fagan's pub. He came down in Monalvi to make a couple of series. Did he? Hall's Pictorial Weekly. God, there I'm learning today. So that's big relevance and, and connection with County, County Mead there as well. You won't believe, folks, the picture of Mrs. Brown. Who am I talking about? Brendan O'Carroll is in this book, John. Yes, and this is an interesting one and one maybe that the listeners might shed more light on. It was the village inn in Clonmelon and Brendan worked in it as a waiter. And we've often heard him telling the stories of um, working as a waiter at the Ronald. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. 
Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Reagan dinner in, when uh, President Reagan visited Dublin Castle in 1984. But this... This may have been pre-Dublin Castle. So he actually worked there? He worked in the village inn in Clonmelon. John, you're cotton. I pass it now. It's all boarded up, isn't it, at this stage? It going is, through yeah. the village there. Sadly, it is. So Brendan plied his trade there. Anyone remember Brendan O'Carroll at the village inn in Clonmelon? At working there? Does anyone remember it? If you do, give us a shout. 1850-715-958 or 086-1800-658. Some other ones. Mary Wallace. There's Mary. Mary feeding the calves. <laughs> Mary. Oh, me jabers. That's a picture and a half of your God. She went to greater things in Dahl Erin from feeding the calves on the farm, didn't she? She, she certainly did. did. And, and linked with that, of course, is Warrenstown. You have Warrenstown College and Mead and all that went on there as well. Sport. What about sport, John? And Mead GAA in particular. Oh, where would you start? Again, no. Again, we just dipped into it. I mean, it's mm. impossible to cover everything. Um, but we, we've dipped in. There's, there's some nice shots there from the famous Mead Dublin uh, battles yes. of, of, of yes. 1991. Yeah. Um, Sean Boylan is there, Terry and Desi Ferguson. Mick Lyons. Mick Lyons. Um, and th- that's the footballing end of stuff. There, there's um, Rosemary Smith, the rally driver. The rally driver. Right. She lived in Mead, didn't she? She did. She lived in Clonee. Yeah. There's a, there's a very a photograph I came across. I never knew Jodie Devine played rugby. The, the famous, uh, later to be famous Mead footballer, but he he captained the um, Kell CBS senior rugby team to win a rugby league in 1986. Right. right. Which was news and, to me. You I see Rosemary there, as you mentioned a moment ago. Uh, Circuit of Ireland co-champion Catherine Tracy is Catherine there Tracy. for Mead. Uh, don't forget the, the, the FBD Milcross, the Queen, Michelle Kennedy. Michelle, oh my God, you're looking the part there with, with the sash in you for the FBD Milcross as well. And a few of the Ross winners are there, Brian yeah. Connacht and Phil Cassidy. Yeah, they're all pictured. It's a, You know, it's just a cross-section, as I said, of life in County Mead. I have to mention a youthful Brendan Cummins. Yes, when we're talking about Mead, GA. God, Brendan, uh, God, God, you're looking well in this one as well. He's there also. But on and on and it goes and across the board as well. This is the first, John. This is volume one. I'm not putting any pressure on you, but this has to be volume one. I have to go back into the archives again. <laughs> and start all over and dig out what you have to dig and get captioning. It's brilliant. Now, let's talk about the launch of this book because it's happening tomorrow morning. Tomorrow morning in the Solstice Art Centre in Navan. Okay. And the reason we chose Solstice is because Navan Historical Society have a lovely photograph exhibition. It's about to finish of the old photographs around the town. And we thought it'd be nice to tie it in with that. And Richard Moore, the former deputy editor of The Chronicle, who's now involved in public relations and yes. went on to work for various ministers, is coming back to launch it. 
tomorrow. Tomorrow morning. What time 11, is that at? It's at 11 o'clock in the solstice. Is it an open invitation? It is. So if you're listening today and you'd like to be involved in something very special, the book will be on sale there, I take it. How much does a copy cost? It's 15 euro and there's a special launch deal of two for 25 euro. Okay, there you are. You can't beat that two uh, for a very good price there. This is a cracker. It would be just great to get hold of it. There's so many people in it and it's coming to that time of the year when you're looking to make up gifts for people. This book would be just perfect for it. John, congratulations. It's really, really great and it makes me smile and brings back memories. Even to me, I'm a loud man, but I know so many people in the Royal County as well. Mead, Life Through the Lens by the Mead Chronicle. John Donoghue, the man who's put it together. And don't forget that launch tomorrow, 11 o'clock in the solstice. Everybody welcome. For the moment, John Donoghue. Thank you. Thank you, Jerry. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, your local Renault selection dealer. With over 250 quality used cars in stock, there's always something for everyone at Blackstone Motors. Check out our used stock online at blackstonemotors.ie. We've hung on her every word when she's spoken to us on Late Lunch in the past. Today I expect it'll be no different as former teacher, author, motivational speaker and mum of four Liz Velour returns to address a question that perplexes lots of parents. How can I get through to my child? Ah, oh, Liz, they're listening. I know, you're very welcome again. Oh, thanks, Jerry. I love being here. And children... Children and their parents are literally my passion because I've worked with children and parents for so long, for 35 years now. um, It has changed how I live because, you see, children are so when they come into the world first and those early years are so important, but they're so alive. Mm. They are so unspoiled. They're so everything. They it's like, you know, unless you be as little children. They are just, you know where you stand with children. They'll tell you. They'll read you. They know, they can read you like a book. So I found those 14 years I worked in my own preschool were the best formation for me before I headed back into primary school. So were they all perfect when they arrive in? Not at all. But they're fully alive. They, they, when they come into the world, they'll all have, even in that moment, they'll have different personalities. However, it'll always be how we respond to that personality. That shapes them. That shapes them. Yeah. When we become parents, it is really a life defining moment, isn't it? It, we have, I think you have a notion before the baby is born of how you're going to be. And you have a sort of a notion in your head that some way or other you're going to retain some of this freedom and retain it. And you, yeah. you know, you're going to be able to detach. You're going to be able to do these things, right? And then reality hits. Not alone do you have expectations of yourself, but you'll have expectations of your husband as well. And yet both of you will have come from different parenting environments. So both of you are going to have downloaded ideas, beliefs, and even if they're not the same as your parents, it could be its polarity. So if your parents were too strict, you want to be a little bit more laissez-faire. If your parents were laissez-faire, you want to be a little more strict. And so it goes on like this. Yet, if you can stop to see and if you can stop to see what it is you're bringing and how you're responding, you can always change that response. That's interesting because people probably have in their minds what you're saying is I'm not going to repeat the mistakes that were yeah. made in my rearing or bringing yeah. up. Is that a mistake in itself? 
Well, it's a belief that you're going to get it perfect and you're going to get it right. Does anybody? No. And I think that was the best, best understanding I ever got. No. Because we're evolving. We're growing. You see, there's bumps on the road. And you've never met them before. As a parent now, right, you as a young parent now, you're dealing with things that your parents never had to deal with. This is unknown territory. Mm. The territory of social media, the territory, this is totally unknown. But the most important thing a parent can do is to learn how to communicate, learn how to listen. And that's an art in itself. Is listening more important than talking. Oh my God. I tell you, I'm going to give you an idea. There was a young one that came to me recently now and she came as far as the door and she was brilliant and she had a sulky, sullen face as if she was being brought to the vet. But it was a howl. It was really a howl and I just saw her there but I just knew by the body language. She grunted at her poor mother. Now, that's all you could say. So anyway, in she comes and within five minutes she's smiling. And then after a while, as I'm listening and listening and listening, and I thought I'll wait, I'd be a bit like Bill Cullen on this, I'll wait till I hear more. And the more I waited and listened and listened, then eventually she came to what was really bothering her. And it was like the offloading of one incredible burden. And at the end of it all, she said to me, can I come back to you again? I said, I'd love to see you. And I'm here anytime you want. And she wept. This kid who had been as defiant as you like one minute, it is in the art of listening. So obviously that child, Mm. to her parents or whoever was looking after her, guardians we say today, or whatever your family arrangement is, had no ear. There was no ear for her. You see, they were coming through their fears. You see, the thing is, when the child is your child, right? Say your child misbehaves in front of you and you're in the shops. Right. Okay. If you're somebody else there, you're able to sit back and look and say, well, if that were my child, I'd do. Okay. I've often been that judgmental person. (laughs) Right. Okay. But it's your child. So when your child is actually acting the maggot in the shop or someplace or is really being surly, you're not thinking of now in the minute that you're in. You're thinking, oh, mother of God. What if he turns out to be a delinquent? How is he ever going to survive in life? Where is he going? You are at least 15 years down the road (laughs) rather than in front of the child now, right? And it's learning about that and being able to work with that and deal with that. Plus, you see, you have other things going on in the head too is, oh, jeepers, he's making a holy show of me. And now I'm standing here. I actually saw a man, God love him, in it was Super Quinn and Blackrock. He must have run a successful business. But his two-year-old took one hell of a tantrum and the man stood there helpless. Now, he probably could have run in a a corporation, but this, he had no idea. The two-year-old had him. The two-year-old had him. He didn't know what to do. Flummoxed him. Flummoxed him. So, as they evolve and they're babies and then they're toddlers and then they start to grow up and they get a little mind of their own and they have their conniptions and their tantrums Mm -hmm. and things like that. How should you deal with that? No. How should you deal with that situation when that child goes, ah! Absolutely. Do you know what? The thing is, when the child is really emotional, screaming, shouting, that is not the time you move in. You don't move in then. You wait till that has passed. And when that's passed, in any heightened emotional scene, you will not get through to anybody. Because some part of them is shut down. They can't hear you. 
Mm. So you're wasting your breath. I used to see this in the yard quite a bit. I remember a young lad, God love him anyway, but he had a tough, tough, tough life. But you see, he got himself into difficulty, throwing chairs around the classroom and he was ballistic. Came flying down to where I worked. He was put down to me in order to keep him quiet or whatever. And he went out the door like a bullet. He was gone. So anyway, I have a half sense of this young lad and he wasn't going to go too far. So what I did was I put a football out just beside my door. Then after a while, I could hear the ball going up against the wall. Bang, bang, bang. So I opened the door and I went out and said, my door is open whenever you feel like coming in. So after about 15 minutes, he sort of slunk in the door and he sat down with his back to the wall. And I waited for a little while and I said, do you feel any better? He said, I'm not sick. And then I really understood. That child didn't know the language of emotions. He had no idea whether he was anxious, sad, depressed. He had no language. And that is missing in our schools. That is missing, the language. The kids haven't got the language to communicate how they feel. So then they get frustrated, they act out. And Whose when fault is that? We all need to... We, see, the thing is, we grew up in a society that didn't... See, mental health is a huge thing now, mm. right? Mm. But we grew up in that society where it wasn't really mentioned. You were nearly afraid to say you were anxious. God, if he's anxious, what am I going to do with him? So is this a question of you talk about when the child has that conniption yeah. and you let them cool down, yeah. then you have a chat with yeah. them when the heat is out of the situation. Uh, and you find out what's behind what's it. What's behind it and what's in it and you sort it out. Yeah. At the- but do you know what? The thing is, what I found was more times than not, when I listened, the child learned to sort it. The child then understood what was going on for them and what they could do. Now, the more the child is able to learn that, then the more that child is able, the next thing, I can deal with that one now. And so the next, he won't be anxious about that one because he's able to deal with that feeling Mm. now. So when he goes a little bit further along the scale and along the scale and along the scale, when you deal with it in this way, this is where they learn how, if they have anxiety, Yes, they can move through it. So it doesn't become a raging bull in a china shop later on. OK, so if they're, if they're mad about something that they want and they can't have, yeah. you explain to them why they can't have it. You wait till they cool down. And tell them why. And, and let them, them know why. why. And let them know And when why. they can have and where the boundaries yeah. are and what, if they're being wrong or, you yeah. know, whatever. But listen to them yeah. and sort it. So that then, in a way, Liz, lays the basis, if you operate like that, yeah. as they grow up. And up they come seven, yeah. eight, nine, yeah. ten. Yeah just pre-teen years. Yeah, absolutely. But the other thing is they also have to learn that they too... You see, if you ha- if when you hand out things to kids and you keep handing it out and handing it out, they become takers. They're not part of the circulation of life. You know, in circulation, you need things to be flowing. So there needs to be giving and receiving. So if they only learn how to take... Don't expect them to be different by teenage years or to suddenly have this magic understanding because they've only learned how to take. Mm. So now they learn from the very get go that maybe there's a contribution they can make. Mm. And when kids make a contribution, I saw it in the school with the kids, when they were able to help you out, they always felt good about themselves. Yeah. Because they have this feeling within them that, God, I'm of value. I'm able to help her. 
But if you won't allow anybody help you and you don't allow the kids help you in any way, and the kids do in those early years, watch them. OK, they get a little bit or whatever and they might get stroppy and they kind of say this. But this is the way it is here. Like, this is how we have it here. Everybody contributes. And can I say if they're involved, yeah. that you then have an opportunity to talk to them on a level, that if yes. something's troubling them or that, yeah. you know, if yeah. they're working with you, doing something with you, yeah. even if they go for a walk with you yeah. or that, it's a better forum for opening up. Oh, it is, yeah. I used to... Let's say, let's say what I would do with mine was, and I have four of them, different stages. Every so often, I'd take them out on their own. And we'd walk maybe down a beach or we'd walk down the pier. We'd have a little treat afterwards. But when they're not directly in front of you, or if they're sitting in the back seat of the car, when they're not looking into your face, chances are they'll tell you what's going on. Liz, let's talk about the preteens for a moment. Mm. They're growing up, yeah. uh, their self-awareness is increasing, they're becoming independent, they're moving in a circle of friends. They now have minds of their own and they may look at mum and dad or whoever's looking after them and think, you know nothing. Exactly. That happens, doesn't it? Of course it, it does happen. But if you actually also notice, they're very insecure at that particular time too. And sometimes I do remember an instance where one of mine now, when she saw me, she turned the other way and went into a shop sooner than say hello to me. But having said that... To you, Liz Valour. Yes. So having said that, right, in the evening when she comes back away from the friends, she needed the security of being there and she needed to know that she had that safe place and she needed to know she could come and talk to me. Right. But I had to learn. I learned very sharp lessons about this of, you know, assuming you know how they feel. They always start off with the dramatic one. I hate school. I'm not going back there again. I'm not going to sleep. That's the last time I'm going there. there and that bitch of a teacher, God forgive me. And so it goes on, it goes on. Now, eventually, if you can actually sit and wait it out, right, you'll eventually get to a point where they really come down to the one instant that happened. And once they release that, you actually don't have to nearly say a word, but you do have to, you know, hold fire, hold back, take a breath and really listen. You might only say it was a bit of a tough day or you put an odd thing in there, but don't try to solve it. Not yet. Don't jump in. No, you do not jump in because you haven't heard the full story. It takes a while for them to eventually come down to what happened. And sometimes with some kids, like I remember a kid now, he was in an awful state in the school. I took me, it took him three days for him to process what actually really went wrong. So all I did was I put him down on the ground. I said, lie there. And I put a little blanket over him. And I said, whenever it is you're ready to tell me what happened, you can tell me. But I needed him to know he could tell me without judgment. Mm. that there wasn't going to be a judgment because when I had problems, let's say, in my school with teachers. So if one of mine said to me I had a problem with the teacher, was like, by God, I tell you one thing, I'll go down and I'll whip the ears off that teacher. Because of my experience, it doesn't necessarily mean it was my child's experience. They could have had a totally different experience, but I'm reacting out of mine. But Jerry, kids are hilarious. And, and this is where I say take a breath, because sometimes they'll ask you a question. So we're two young ones in the school. They're two different dads. And one of them says to me, you know what I mean? Are they really brother and sister? And thankfully, I took a sniff and I held back. And a young one that was meant to be in a special class turned out, what are you talking about? She said, I can use all out the one, ma. 
And I thought to myself, that's exactly it. You're all over the one ma. That was the answer. And that was the answer. You know when they are at that phase yeah. and then they move into teens and, you know, yeah. they, they're, they're often, you know, tetchy times, to say mm. the least, mm. for families. And, and communication breaks down at times. They think their friends are smarter than anybody else. Mm. How do you keep that communication channel open? When they come back and they're able to come and you ask them how it is or how's their day and they can tell you that and you don't judge it, get in there with the judgment, Right. When they consistently know that you're listening, they actually will come back to you because they know they can communicate with you. But as you learn how to listen to them, you will know how to communicate with them. And that's actually what I teach on this course. I actually show you the ways and the various interjections we can put in that can block kids from talking to you, especially teenage years. And those children, many of them, in those preteens and teenagers, many of them really don't know the language of feelings. They don't know how to identify feelings. So they're confused. They don't know how to talk to you. They don't know how to tell you what's going on. So when some of them then are ended up with the pressure of leaving certain, they can't tell you. But what if I don't get those points? Because sometimes parents are inclined to think there is only one place for my child to go. It's only a certain university. It's only a certain thing because there's where the jobs are. But it might necessarily be, Jerry, because it's changing. And we, our kids need to know that no matter what happens, they can adapt. And you see, they're stuck with their heads in these devices. Absolutely. They're online. And it's not even a computer anymore. It's not even within the house. They have this little implement in their hands. They can take with them anywhere and they feel they're connected. But are they really connected? No, they're not connecting. It's a virtual world. That is one thing I can tell you and I can really swear on this one. Say, for example, you have a child who gets 600 points. And you are so happy. You are the proud parent of this kid with 600 points, right? And that kid goes in and he goes to university and he gets to... If he can't communicate with people, if he can't collaborate, if he can't network, if he can't do those things, it doesn't matter if he got 800 points, 1,000 points. He's not going to succeed because he doesn't have the soft skills. And they learn the soft skills through us. And that's what I'm working at in the Boyne Valley. Yeah, I love two sentences that you've come up with. How can I talk so as they can listen? listen. How can I listen so as they can, can talk? talk? Absolutely. And that's it. That's Around it. that axis, it yeah. all revolves. It all revolves with that. And I understand and know and I can really help parents on this one. Because I have seen, sometimes I have seen parents who would be coming in and they'd be shouting or whatever, giving out. And I, at the end of it all, when they've just let off stream, I said, you're worried, aren't you? And you know what? With that, it was like the walls of Jericho had come down. Mm. And that's it sometimes with kids. Underpinned by the real reason. The real reason is they're really worried about something. And when they know to see, but if you are very insecure, if you have not developed your own emotions, you will not be able to hear your child. And that is what I can help people with when they come to the Bound Valley. OK, just want to mention it before we finish. Time is beating us again, but you know that door is always open for you. Yeah. Maybe if I knew what to do. These are the questions I get asked all the time, says Liz. 
How do I talk to my children so as I can get through to them? How do I listen so they can talk, as I mentioned a moment ago? Boyne Valley Hotel, Drogheda, 28th of October from 10 to 4. And if people want to book a place on this, how? It's on Eventbrite is one area. Yes. They can contact me at lizvalour at gmail.com. Now it's V-A-L-L-O-O-R at gmail.com. And we have your number here, you which number. we'll give out of 1850715958. Uh, yeah. Just before you go, good and luck I'm with on, good luck with. And I'm on taste, Catherine Fulvio. She's on with Catherine Fulvio. You can't. What date is that? Fifth of November. I'll be tuned in. I love her to bits. Anyway, I love her too. Until the next brilliant. time. Yeah. you're great. Thanks, Liz Valor. You're welcome. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, your local Renault selection dealer. With over 250 quality used cars in stock, there's always something for everyone at Blackstone Motors. Check out our used stock online at blackstonemotors.ie. Ah, oh, shut the cock-a-hoop in the central bar in Navin and no wonder they are. We're going to find out why next. I'm delighted to welcome to Late Lunch Roy Rogers and Tracy Hanby. Of course, you've met her before on the show. Tracy, it's great to see you again. Thank you for joining Thank me. you for having us. I'm delighted to see you smiling from ear ah. to ear because you have sitting before you here framed two very special awards <laughs> for the central. Tell me what you've won. So I brought the awards with me and <laughs> Roy brought the drink. <laughs> I like you, Roy. <laughs> so I have to mention uh, all the staff work really, really hard. And I, I suppose I'm I'm only part of a very small part of the team that comes together to make these things happen. And these are the wonderful things that we get to celebrate as a team and enjoy. We've got the Irish Pub Awards 2018. Congratulations to the Central Navin Regional Winner for Best Music Pub 2018. Well done. So that and that particularly for me, will be a very important one because I was always waiting for that to happen. (laughs) (laughs) So that's a little vested interest there, but well done to Leon. He took over from where I left off and yes. But you're still, and we're going to find it in a minute, you're still an integral part of the team there as well. Only a little. Well, but every little building block makes the big structure stand. You understand that? I suppose this is where Michael and Tara come in so well. They're very good at getting the right people together in behind and getting the right things out of them and giving you initiative and, you know, a little bit. Like Tara asked me to submit for the next award. Which is? The Irish Hospitality Global Awards. This award is proudly presented to the Central Navin Best Cocktail Experience in Ireland 2018. Ireland! Are you listening? In Ireland, folks! So this is a big one. We're very excited. This is massive. And Roy Rogers, you were the man who puts these cocktails together. Yes, I, Michael and Tara approached me before the summer to do up a new cocktail menu and basically their vision was just kind of give back to the patrons and, and you know, show them some new things, bring some of my experience from California to Navin, basically. Yeah. So I tried to do that and now here we are well, with, the, with the... here's the proof of the, the pudding the in that pudding, sense. So, yeah. so you worked in California for a number of years? I worked in California for about 15 years, yeah, and I worked for um, quite a few different establishments establishments there. There are a lot of good mixologists and 
um, I decided I'd move home to Ireland with my young family. Yes. Um, and I always have had a passion for, for people, first mm. and foremost, and also for cocktailing. Mm. So Mixologist, is that the a word? Mix, a mixologist, yes. But yes. like I'm, I'm very much more about making it accessible to everybody. Okay. It's kind of like the wine thing years ago was very pretentious. And, mm. You know, what could you smell and this type of thing? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing but, when you had too much. Exactly. So one. I'm kind of the same way with cocktails yes. I like to keep them you know where they're accessible to everybody yeah. and everybody's tastes are different but uh, we offer something for everybody in the centre okay. okay and I suppose the award itself is about the cocktail experience so it's yes. not just the cocktail yeah. it's yeah. about having that experience mm. with it and that is kind of one of the challenges I suppose with the central we have seven bars um, in under the one roof so consistency is kind of an issue and um, so we train a lot. Uh, there's the staff there are fantastic. All the bartenders put so much work in and they're all very dedicated. I try and instill a passion for mixology or for cocktails in yeah. them and that really shows through, I think. Uh, you can go to any of the seven bars and have the exact same cocktail, but perhaps a slightly different experience for each of the bars, but it's a wonderful venue and really good for for Christmas parties and mm. such like. Well, I also offer a master class uh, for hen nights and um, any kind of private yeah. party, really. It's, Stags. It's, it's not only <laughs> females. I have a lot of masculine oh, yeah, male drinks say as that well. As well. So, yeah. you know, Shake and not stir, and girls and boys. Any information on that, you can uh, contact Tara at thecentral.ie. Okay, okay. You wanted to say there? Yeah, I suppose... The message I want to get out, and I always did when I started with uh, Michael and Tara, was party central. Mm. If you want to party, you come to the central. And I mean, all of these awards do add up to that. It's like we did win uh, best best bar in Ireland yes. as yes. well. Like I mean, we have a, we're clocking them up, I suppose. But yeah, yeah. it's an incentive to keep. Yeah, well, yeah no, it is. It's a joy when we bring these awards back, then the staff are, they all share in it. So yeah. that follows through and it shows through, I think, with our patrons and, and the customers that it's a it's a lovely place to work. They're, they're really lovely people to work for. Mm. And, you know, people say that and they notice it, that yeah. with the staff, they're happy. Will you start mixing there for me? Okay, because I well, want to see what you do <laughs> and how, how well, you get on with it. What, what are you going to make for me? I'm going to do um, two cocktails today. One of them is a special that I have on. On the menu for this week and one is come off our new cocktail menu so the first one is called a wild blackberry french 75 and this is a classic cocktail that um, basically has been famous since world war one and that's where it gets its name from it gets its name from the uh, french uh, rifle 75 millimeter army um, issue rifle mm. and this uh, this cocktail certainly packs a punch yeah, okay, so we'll go on Facebook Live now. Join oh us on Lord. Facebook Live. You'll Hello. see this man in action so here. So starting with a little bit of ice into the cocktail. Oh, God, there's no shortage, shaker. Tracy, of ice there. I don't know, how, how did you measure. transport the ice like that? <laughs> how did you do that? It's the tricks of the trade. So we're going to start off with some local um, local gin. Okay. And we're just going to throw that in there. Is it always important to have the glass packed with ice like that? Certainly, yeah, because the ice... 
it, it does act as a slight dilutant, but it also mixes it really well. Okay. So, so you uh, know, there's certain different techniques that you use. This technique is kind of building it within a cocktail jar. Uh, you can stir it. You can build it. I'm just going to free pour this one because my hand is a little shaky. Um, <laughs> Don't be nervous. So Don't be nervous, Rob. I've always been told I had a voice it's for radio, but I think more so a face for radio. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I'm just adding a little bit of triple sec, which is an orange liqueur. Cointreau would be one of the branded um, ones. And then I'm going to add about 15 mils of fresh lemon juice. And then I'm going to add the wild blackberry syrup, which was lovingly created by my wife, Valeria. Ah. Well done. And, uh, so I'm adding about 15 mil, but equal measure lemon and to the sweetness yes. also. So that's that. We're going to just shake away here. If Tracy, you want to take over for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> so over to the hostess with the mostess. Yeah, he's doing, he's doing a fine job. Well, this is Roy. This is the way Roy would be in the bar. He'd be having a chat with customers. He would be engaging them in the process, yeah. you know, and actually I suppose when I get the opportunity when I see him in action I'm over annoying him with the camera myself Yes, uh, trying to capture the moments and the cocktails and I might even put him on the spot and say right Roy what are you going to crave for me just do it now yeah, come up with need, something like, yeah. photo content is very important yeah. we're on Facebook live join us folks you can watch what's happening here in Late Lunch Studio this afternoon our cameraman Mr Eamon Doyle he does everything in this place Sinead Brazzle is with us in here as well and I think so we're approaching the moment here. are we yes oh, Oh, this uh, is I'm the just, magic ingredient. Uh, this is the magic that's going to happen now. I'm just about to add some Prosecco. Okay. Um, this is quite a feminine drink, but uh, the name certainly is not. Um, <laughs> it's not. It's masculine. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's certainly a, way, it's, it's a really nice way to show how to balance a cocktail properly. And it is all about less is more. Mm. You don't want to drown the alcohol as such or, or bruise it. Yes. Uh, you kind of just want to enhance it. So I've added the Prosecco there and I'm just going to give it a little spritz here of oh, this uh, is where some he, fresh orange. This is where he shows off now. And okay, I see that. <laughs> yeah, so is, of, is that actually some of the rind of the orange that's going in is, there? Yeah. yeah, so I'm using what's called a canal knife and I'm just cutting off the rind without the pith. So as part of the master classes that are held in the central, I kind of try to introduce a little bit of the history of the cocktail, obviously what the ingredients are. And um, who'd like to taste it? Sh- Sinead Brazzles here. You, you said to me it's such a female-esque. So we yes, let Sinead okay. have a little taste. Hop okay. into that microphone there. And yeah, have a can I just say it. it's very glamorous altogether. Oh, uh, first of all, uh, I feel very uh, cosmopolitan or something. Here we go. Here we go. Oh damn, that is good. Here, that here. is no, no. You can't have it. You can't have it. It's mine. It's really, really fruity. You know, it's as, really fruity. You know, as Shania yeah. Twain sings, "Man, I feel like, like a woman." <laughs> so that's why I have to supper this today. Sinead, would you be into cocktails? Would that be your thing? Yes, I do like it. On a girls' night out, I might have one, maybe or two. Do you know? And that's definitely something I would drink. That you know, is lovely. absolutely magic. Thumbs have we quick here. time to do another one? We can you do, do another yeah, one as quick as you can? Because you said you were going to do two for us. Sinead, I love is, that. This I one love is it. kind of a more masculine one. It's our, this is for Jerry. Um, this is, yeah, <laughs> this is our, our, our old-fashioned secret. And this has basically... I was inspired from my, from my wife. Uh, my wife and I took a trip in 97 to New Orleans, and it's where we fell in love. Woo! <laughs> um, so we, we ended up drinking something very similar to this basically all weekend. Okay. And basically what I'm going to do here is I'm just going to slice a little bit of orange um, and a little bit of uh, Italian cherry, which we import, 
and these are beautiful northern Italian cherries, really rich flavour. Oh, you're singing to the right man now. Absolutely. So I just added about two cherries and a little bit of syrup. Something that's striking me again, like people will go about cocktails. Oh God, it's a lot of money in that. But you're talking about high quality product, like especially with Roy, as he's even demonstrating. Um, high quality, but also there is extra spirit involved. You know it. Mm. it so you're actually getting good value. Oh, it for is what certainly much better value. People are always shocked at the price, but you're certainly getting more um, more bang, bang for your buck. Yeah. So I'm saying. just after muddling up the uh, the cherry and the orange. What I'm going to do is now is add a little bit of bitters. You can get these bitters locally. Uh, I've actually begun to make my own uh, from foraging. October is a great time for it these is, things. It is, it is. So I've added the bitters. I'm just going to add a little bit of sweetener. Facebook Live. Are you watching us on Facebook Absolutely. Live? Are you watching this brilliant man, Roy <laughs> Rogers, better known oh. as Trigger, we can reveal today at <laughs> late lunch. And you know why. Remember yeah. Roy Rogers on the silver screen? I know. My parents had a great sense of humour. I'm sure it's a great <laughs> in for anyone with you when you meet them first. Absolutely. A nice oh, yeah, break up no, for abso- a, a mixologist. Yes. For sure. And, you know, if you need any information about any of the products that I'm using or the tools, yeah. you can follow me on my Instagram, which is uh, Cocktails and Pastries. <laughs> Thank you very much. Or, as I said, any, any information on the, the masterclasses, contact Tara. At the yes, centre. at the centre. So okay, I'm just so adding in, as I said, I'm just adding in a nice big measure of a local... A local again, whiskey. Slain whiskey. Slain whiskey, which is again, beautiful. Again, another thing that Roy's doing is bringing in local yes. products yeah, well, as well. Yeah. That comes from California, really, because it's very much so. I'm very into local and fresh ingredients, yeah. and there's no reason why they shouldn't be in our cocktails yeah. as well as our food. Oh, there's no so I'm just adding a little bit of crushed ice. ice. Oh. Absolutely. Oh, sorry, Jerry. I'm wrecking your studio here. No, you here. can wreck away. There's no it's problem. Okay. Um, and then I'm just going to slightly stir this over, and... There is the old secret. Over to you, Jerry. Well, uh, the old fashioned secret. <laughs> now, what's the name of this again? Old, old fashioned, fashioned secret. secret. Can this I tell is a you? New Orleans styled old fashioned. Okay, can I tell you? It's not a secret. <laughs> On Wednesday nights, I meet a group of fellas that I used to play football with. We're meeting for over 20 years. It's called the Wednesday Club. Ah, It'll never cheers. be the same again. <laughs> cheers to you, boys. Uh, it's boring you. stuff with them fellas on Wednesday. Here we go. Now, that's my kind. <laughs> that's great. I love it. Wonderful, It's Jerry, absolutely brilliant. Fantastic. No problem. Facebook Live, you are watching us here this afternoon. Yes, we've about a minute left to go. Okay. So these are in big demand, Tracy, in the centre. People love this fella yeah. and what he does. Uh, there's also jugs of cocktails going around as well so there's mm, an awful sorry. lot on offer uh, the new menu also incorporates the whiskey the gin like I mean there's a huge gin yeah. uh, following now yeah. and there's a like lot a of gin the renaissance but oh, also completely. a cocktail renaissance mm. so it's a pleasure to bring that to the great people of Meath of course and it is there is a new product launching tomorrow okay. it's a Irish, uh, Irish liqueur Okay. Um, five farms. And check that out in the central as well. Slaunche, Golair, Skoromahigiv. I'm so happy I can taste Slade coming out of that glass for sure. <laughs> we'll have to talk to you again sometime. Congratulations, Tracy, and to you, Roy, Thank you so and much. everybody at the central on the awards. Well deserved. I understand why now you're the best. Thank you very much <laughs> for joining you. me on the Thanks show again, today. Jerry. That's late lunch for Wednesday. See you tomorrow, Thursday. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, your local Renault selection dealer. With over 250 quality used cars in stock, there's always something for everyone at Blackstone Motors. Check out our used stock online at blackstonemotors.ie.